All right, good morning. You may have a seat. Uh, we find ourselves going through a series called the Explore God series. If you've driv- driven around town much, you might see big billboards around Dallas. Just so you know, we did not buy those. But uh, another organization has uh, that came and met with us. And it's, it's just, you agree to teach on, preach on, seven major questions that we are asked. They provide no sermon notes or anything for you. It's just that you agree to teach on these things. If people are interested in them as they drive by and see the billboards, they can type in the website and our church would come up as a church nearby or in Denton, where they can come to hear these topics discussed. Uh, so we've, we've talked about the existence of God. We dealt with that. And uh, today we're moving on to the second part of this series, which is why does God allow pain and suffering? And again, it's seven top questions that people uh, kind of ask and have, have trouble with and trying to get their mind around. But it's a very important question. Why does God allow pain and suffering? Now, everyone experiences pain. Everyone experiences suffering at some point in our lives. The question is, what do we do with it when it comes? Now, even for believers, uh, we often find ourselves very confused, very perplexed, and looking and searching for the reasons of why this has happened. Why would God allow something like this to happen to us? Uh, many people, even within the church walls, that you'll find when bad things come, when a, when a relationship goes south or health issues come in, they, they question God in such a way that they abandon their faith. And the Bible says they reveal that they were not actually believers to begin with. But pain and suffering come to every single human. You might say that it is universal. It comes to all of us. So this is a very important question that is asked during this series is, is how do you deal with it? What do you do? Now, there is a lot of false theology uh, that is out there that's very popular right now. At one time, it used to be just kind of kind of in extremely charismatic churches, but it's, it's had a tendency to drift out into other, you might call them more conservative churches, perhaps like this one as well. But, uh, but, but the theology would be this, it's kind of been nicknamed, name it and claim it, gab it and grab it, speak it and receive it, where you actually command God. You know, and it's, if you, you command him, and if you're feeling sick, then you, you command God to heal you. You speak that you're actually healed and that you're not sick and that he has to therefore heal you. And uh, this is nowhere, of course, in the Bible, but it's become very popular and it's drifted into mainline churches as well. But we are not God and God is not our servant. All right. It is vice versa. We are his servants and, uh, and we do not get to command God. So when we are sick, we are truly sick. When we are ill, when things go wrong, it does it have to do with our lack of faith. Uh, you'll find that that it does not. Uh, the faith healers that you used to see on TV all the time, right? If, if someone is in suffering or someone has a condition and he attempts to heal them and they're not healed, then whose fault would it be? It, of course, wouldn't be his or God's, but he would blame the person, uh, the handicapped person. He would blame them for not having enough faith to be healed, which is horrible, and sends them into extreme depression, looking and searching, trying to find enough faith for themselves to be healed. But this is not something that we see in God's Word. So So we also see uh, very popular now and and churches can quickly grow when they begin to preach this theology, uh, name it and claim it. We've kind of dealt with that, but kind of similar to that is that divine 
health and wealth, the, the prosperity gospel is what it's nicknamed. And that is that, that if you're a Christian, then you, you get everything you want. I mean, you should walk in divine health. You should walk in divine health and wealth. Your bank account should be full. You should always be healthy and all this. We don't find any of this in the Bible, okay? You can grow a church quickly if you begin to preach that, but then is it really a church? Because you're not preaching the word of God, we don't find that there. So how do we deal with this? What should our view on pain and suffering in this life be? So hopefully this message, and it's supposed to be one message, but as I began to put my notes together, it quickly turned into uh, two and a half messages, and I'm going to try to move it down to two messages. So we'll be covering this this week. So if, uh, I do not claim to be God or be able to answer all of your questions fully, but hopefully we'll scratch the surface and begin to get some answers this week. Make sure you come back next week as well as we go deeper into this subject also. But um, first of all, we must realize and not be fooled that we are not in heaven right now. And that's really important to, to make sure that we wrap our minds around that this is earth, this is not heaven. If we go back to the very beginning and we look at the book of Genesis, Genesis 2.17, uh, Adam and Eve are warned. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die." Now, people are no longer in the immediate presence of God. Uh, they did, you might say, have divine health and divine prosperity in the Garden of Eden. Everything was provided for them by God. They were in the immediate presence of God. God dwelt with them. Why, were they, why did they have this relationship? It was because there was no sin, right? And there was no sin. There was no death. There was no process of dying. There was no sickness. There was no illness. There was nothing. There was nothing. The, the curse had not come uh, for sin at that time. So at that time, you might say that that was humanity experiencing uh, heaven, God's presence, everything provided fully for them. But we, of course, know that Adam and Eve sinned. We see, the, see what happens in chapter 3 of the book of Genesis. Adam and Eve sin, and the curse uh, falls on them for that sin. And it travels to everyone that they represented, which is you and I, all humanity. But it also falls on the, the, the entire creation. Death now enters into the creation. And the punishment for sin is indeed death. So now Adam and Eve go from being in a position, if they did not sin, that they would not have died, to a position of death is imminent and death is coming. So they begin the process of, of degeneration. Their bodies would eventually begin to break down from that point forward, and eventually they would die. And so this is for, for every single one of us, right? James 4.14, I have it up here, uh, says, What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. So all humanity, no matter what we think, every single one of us will vanish from this earth, like spraying a mist, and eventually it disappears, usually before it even hits the ground. Uh, this verse shows us how temporary our lives truly are. So we, we know this is coming. We know death is coming. Adam and Eve were told it was coming, and indeed it did. We look at all humans before us, and it definitely comes. But yet, one of the main points that we see where people... Uh, struggle in their faith with pain and suffering has to deal with this process of dying or losing someone that, that is close to us. So we're going to deal with this a little bit today as, as we begin to touch the, the surface of, of pain and, and of suffering. I remember just a few years ago, 
There was a gentleman and his family, uh, wife and three kids who were extremely committed to church, came all the time. His, his daughter had the, the best Sunday school record in her church and came all the time. And all of a sudden, they were, they were gone. They were done. And uh, we began to ask where they were, and no one had seen them. And I called him on the phone. He had missed a few months and wouldn't return my call and tried again. I finally ran into him. And I uh, said, hey, you know, we've, we've missed you and your family at church. Where are you at? What's going on? He said, well, God let my dad die. So we're not going to church any longer. And, and I, I tried to have a conversation with him. He didn't really want to hear it at that time. But, but if you really think, like, like we know death is coming. It, it, is, it is coming to every single person. But you see an individual go through it like this. Someone, when it enters into his world, his faith is so rocked that he abandons his faith. Death should not be that surprising. It is shocking. It is surprising to a degree, but yet we know it comes. So would it make us truly abandon God, our creator, who spoke and made everything, and him will face in judgment one day? Would it make us now not worship him, not serve him because death has come? He told us it was coming. He warned us ahead of time. In fact, Hebrews says, death is coming, and after that, the judgment. So make sure you're ready for that day. Make sure you're ready not only to die, but to face the judgment of God. All right. We are told over and over in the Bible that there will be pain and suffering during this life. If you don't mind, let's look at uh, Acts chapter 14. We have several passages we'll be turning to today. But Acts chapter 14, we'll begin at verse 19. That's where we'll start today. And just looking again, that this is, this is not heaven on earth. And we will be in heaven one day. And we're going to cover that next week. What to expect there. That there is no pain. There is no suffering. We're in the full presence of God. Sin has been removed. The curse of sin has been removed. And it's beautiful. But until that point, we are here in this temporary world. This temporary life that we live. Uh, Acts chapter 14, verse 19. Acts chapter 14, verse 19. I'll begin. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. And having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples encouraging them, pay close attention to this last verse, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter into the kingdom of God. So Paul had just gotten stoned to death, or so they thought, all right? Paul was in the city. Just to kind of paraphrase what is going on here, he is in the city, And the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium to stone him to death. Why? What did Paul do wrong? Well, we know from the story he continued to preach the gospel. And he knew that there was a high likelihood that he could get stoned to death. But he didn't care because he knew that even if his body was destroyed and he got to deliver the gospel, that people could be saved. They could be rescued for all of eternity. He knew that his body was temporary. He knew that his soul was eternal. He was willing to risk his temporary body to get the eternal gospel out there, right? So he knew that he might be stoned, and indeed he was stoned. They thought they stoned him so well that they thought he was dead. They dragged him out of the city for his body to be disposed of. His other followers went out there to check on him, to bury him, perhaps, but they realized that he's actually still alive. 
So they scoop him up, they gather him, right? And we see that they went away for a short amount of time. It could have been a day, it could have been two days, three days. But very soon, they come back to the people, the place where he was getting stoned. After he had delivered the gospel to them, they take him off, they continue to preach the gospel elsewhere, and they come back. And look at this verse 22. How does he strengthen them? Uh, What does he, an apostle of Christ, say to help them? Verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. He lets, he strengthens them by what? He tells them that tribulations will indeed come. Don't be surprised. Don't be shocked. Don't put your faith away because hardships, pain, persecution, bad things happen. He strengthens them. How he, he'd just given them the gospel. He comes back and now strengthens them. What is he going to say? He tells them, hey, bad times are coming. Hardships are coming. Tribulations are going to come. Pain and suffering will come. Don't let them dissuade your, your faith. Maintain your faith in God always. He basically says pain and suffering are definitely coming. But this is no reason at all to put your faith in God away. Instead, it's more of a reason to have increased faith. In God. Uh, look at this. He says, it is through many tribulations, highlight this if you, if you have a pen or marker with you, that we enter into the kingdom of God. When you realize that, you won't be taken by surprise when tribulations come. This is extremely important. He strengthens them by giving them the right view on pain and suffering. Now, I have a question on the board, but it's a question I thought of as I was preparing the sermon today. Is the advice... That we have been given along the way until this point that you've arrived here this morning. Uh, uh, the advice that we've been given along the way to help us be ready for tribulations, pain, and suffering. Does it match up with what Paul teaches here? I, I, w- I was kind of thinking about this myself as I was preparing the suffering, pain and suffering. And, and there's so much. Uh, I, I'm really bad or good, you might say, about checking cross-references and looking through the Bible and, and trying to really search out an issue. And as I begin to search out hardships, tribulations, pain and suffering and persecutions, the Bible is just, it's just full of such information. But oftentimes, those, those types of messages and sermons and teachings, they're kind of hard, right? And it's not really a, a, a good way to grow the numbers of people coming in. It's much easier to say, hey, health, wealth, prosperity, you're going to live forever and you're going to have lots of money in your account. Just keep coming to our church, right? But when you say, hey, pain, suffering, tribulation, bad times are coming, get ready, it, it, it can be a little dissuading. But that's the truth. This is what the Bible teaches. These times are coming. We must be prepared for them. Tribulations are coming. I think of the, the famous book, uh, Pilgrim's Progress. Anyone read that? Nod, yes, yes. Many of you have. Okay, great. But we see that a great book, phenomenal book. It was the best-selling book ever besides the Bible until, I believe, Purpose Driven Life might have a taking that spot, but, but a, a fantastic book, and it's a fictitious story, a, a metaphor for of, of a young man named Christian, and, and he, as he goes through life, and how he eventually gets to heaven, but it's all the pain, the suffering, the tribulations, the trials along the way, beautiful book, but in the end, right, he crosses into heaven, a beautiful picture, but Paul is saying, hey, expect that, don't be surprised when bad things happen. Don't put your faith in God away just because bad things are coming your direction. Uh, thumb with me over to 2 Corinthians. You're not that far away, just a few pages away there. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 through 9. Fantastic chapter if you um, 
If you have not a daily quiet time where you read God's Word on a regular basis, or even if you do, let me just challenge you to read 2 Corinthians chapter 4 this week. Let that be your assignment. Read it each day if you have to. Beautiful chapter. But we're going to start at verse 7 and just read a couple of verses out of it. Verse 7 and 9 uh, through 9. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the, that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. An incredible verse, again, to highlight, to remember, to memorize, if you can do such a thing. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. What is he talking about? Well, as you you read this passage in context, they are presenting the gospel. They are living and believing the gospel. But he's also talking about this eternal gospel, that those who believe in it, will rise from the dead. We have souls that go on for eternity. There is no in-between. There is no purgatory. That those who believe in Christ, uh, the moment this life stops, we're in the immediate full presence of God. How can that be? Because Christ has paid for our sins. So now we are, like Adam and Eve, but even better, we are not only sinless, we are pure righteous. We get the standing of Jesus Christ himself. So when we put this body away we shed this body we're immediately in the full presence of god but he says we have this gospel this great salvation in these jars of clay it's like having having the biggest diamond in the world inside of a a little little ziploc bag or something all right that ziploc bag is very temporary it's worth nothing but what's inside is of infinite value but he's saying more so here that that this salvation that we have we have been rescued, we have been saved by God, through, by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. And we have this treasure, but it's inside this body, this physical body. We are made from dirt, and dirt we will return. We are in jars of clay. Jars of clay at that time are extremely brittle. They were meant to, to serve a task for a temporary time, but everyone knew that jars of clay would not continue on forever. So that's the point he is making here. Don't be surprised by this. You are going to go on, but you are right now in a jar of clay. But we have this treasure, this salvation that is inside of us. Now let's look. Look at verse 8. Here he does not say that you will not be afflicted now that you are a Christian. Instead, what does he say? He says, we are afflicted. He's speaking of himself and other disciples. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but not to despair. So he is receiving pain and agony, mental anguish, physical pain as well, as we'll see here in a few moments, uh, from every angle is coming at him. Uh, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. All right, there's a difference. We as believers, we will receive, have pain, we will be afflicted, but we are not crushed. God is always with us. And, And even, as we'll find in a moment, even in death, we are still not crushed. We have won the battle. Look at this, perplexed but not driven to despair. This is one of the things that we often struggle with in pain and suffering and death and illness and sickness. And when tough times come, uh, we are perplexed. We, we ask why, why, why? We try to put the pieces together and we just can't do it. Uh, I remember years ago, my brother's wife uh, fell from the attic. She passed away. And, and some of the advice he got along the way was, was he said, you, 
as he struggled to find the reason why, why, why. And, and we'll look at this more in depth next week. But, but oftentimes there is no why that we can see, only in the, the eyes of God and his plan as it's laid out. He has reasons for the why. But we're given one piece of a puzzle that has many, many pieces on it. Thousand-piece puzzle, whatever you want to think of, tiny little piece. And we try to we try to look at it and see the why, and we don't really see it. And perhaps one day, as we are in heaven, we see exactly where that piece goes and the beautiful picture it makes in the plan of God. But right now, we, you know, this pain comes, this suffering comes, and someone near us passes away. We're given an, an odd-shaped puzzle, and we're perplexed. What does this do? Where does it go? I don't even know. And, and you may not know. Until you're with God. But the point is that, that even Paul himself, who writes the majority of the New Testament, as he's facing trials and tribulations and persecuted, he says he is perplexed. It's mental anguish. But he's not driven to despair. And this is us. We are perplexed. We often wonder why, how, what, what's going on. But we're not driven to despair because we know we're in the hands of God. Verse 9. Uh, persecuted. But not forsaken. God is always there with us. He knows everything that we're going through. He's right there with us. Struck down, but not destroyed. So as we read passages like this, Paul, the disciples, the ones following Paul during this time, they were facing all of this in these these jars of clay. And that we should be expected to as well. So we look at this verse and we realize these things are going to happen. But there's, there's also hope. At the end of each one of these. That we as a believer are not driven to despair. We are not destroyed. Uh, we do have this hope in Christ. Because we have this treasure inside of us. We have been saved by the very God who created us. Um, does God allow pain and suffering in our lives? I have this passage on the screen today. I have tried, tried to put a few up there. To keep you from flipping too much. But feel free to turn to it. John 9 uh, verse 1 through 3. Interesting. No, it is an interesting question to think about. And again, we're not going to answer this fully in our short time that we have today, but we'll begin to touch on it. Uh, does God allow <coughs> pain and suffering in our lives? John chapter 9, verse 1 through 3. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. This is speaking of Jesus that was passing by. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So what happens here is Jesus is passing by a a man who is born blind. So his disciples then espoused a view of sin and of punishment for sin. That was incorrect, but something they had been taught, something they believed, that if if a person would, would... was suffering to this degree, like he was, a man that was born blind, someone had to have sinned. And they thought they were really asking him a good question at this point. Rabbi, which means, you know, teacher, uh, who sinned? You know all things, it seems. Who sinned? Uh, This man that is blind, or was it from his parents? Since he was born blind, but surely one of them sinned, and now they've been cursed by God because of their sin. But look at this answer. Look what he says. It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. 
Now, we do know, as we, as we look at Scripture and we look at passages, oftentimes people are punished because of their sin. We think of uh, Miriam, right? Moses' sister who, who received leprosy when she rose up against him in opposition, and it was from God. God had sent this. We think of David as well. When David sinned, he reaped the repercussions of that sin and was punished by God also. We think of the whole nation of Israel, and we can go time after time after time after time where they sinned, and God punished them for their sin. I remember one time a lady asked me, she was suffering to a degree, and, and asked, do you think this is because of sin in my life? And I could tell she was wanting me just to say, of course not, no way. But truly, biblically, this is something we, we do have to ask, at least. I've, I'm in this situation, as we look biblically at the, at the Bible, that we should make sure that we have confessed, that we have repented from our sin. So it is okay. As I told her, I don't know. I, I am not God. But uh, the Bible does tell us that can happen, but it is not the case in every situation. So the disciples thought they did know about sin and punishment for sin, and that if you were receiving bad pain and suffering, obviously you had sinned. But Jesus corrects them here. Look at this. He says that the man was born blind. Think about this. All these years of being blind, not being able to see for this very moment, so that the works of God might be displayed. I mean, imagine that. All the, all the perplexing days of, of him and his, his family as well. The wondering, why, why, why? You know, why is our son born blind? And, and the questions that he had to ask him himself. Everyone else can see. Everyone has jobs and wives and families. But I'm stuck here begging. I'm blind. I can't see anything. Why, why? Then all of a sudden, God himself walks by. And all of a sudden, the eyes come open. And all this is done for the glory of God himself. So does God allow pain and suffering in our lives? You can look back to a situation like this and, and where it is somewhat resolved, you might say here. In this situation, they can see the why. And the disciples can see that even bad things God has ordained, but it, comes up, it brings the good about eventually, right? So that's what we see here in this passage. Uh, what was the reason this man was born blind? So that the works of God might be displayed in him. The reason for his pain, the reason for his suffering was that the works of God might be displayed. He is healed by Jesus for all to see, and God receives the glory for it there. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through 10. Not too far away. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through 10. And we look at Paul as we're kind of looking at does God allow pain and suffering in our lives? And Paul faces this exact dilemma, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited, Paul says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Uh, so Paul prayed for this thorn in the flesh to go away. Theologians vary a little bit on exactly what this thorn was, but it does seem to imply that it was something physical, literally in his flesh, uh, pain that was there that would not go away. He asked for it to be removed. He did pray for it to be removed, but it was not. 
In fact, gave, God gave him the opposite answer, that it is going to remain. And we are called upon, it's absolutely fine, Paul absolutely did as well. He prayed for this, this, this pain and this suffering to go away. It's absolutely fine for us to do such a thing, okay? And when we're going through pain, going through suffering, it is okay. But it is also uh, God's prerogative to perhaps allow us to go through that. And that's what we see here with Paul. So Paul prays for it to go away. It does not go away. Uh, One missionary I ran into years ago said this, Americans pray for their burdens to be removed. But here in this country, we pray for our backs to be made stronger for the load that we bear. And that's stuck with me ever since. Uh, we oftentimes just pray, God, get rid of this trouble. God, get rid of this pain. God, get rid of this suffering. When, when we should be praying, God, strengthen my back. May I rely on you more. May I rely on my weakness even more. And, and, and as Paul did, see myself as who I am and see you for who you are and trust in you even more through the weakness I am going through at this time. So this is what we see of Paul. He prays for God to lift this thorn out of his flesh, to remove this pain and suffering. He does not. What was God's answer to Paul when he prayed? It is grace. Let me read this. Grace. God's giving him unmerited favor in Christ was enough, according to this passage. Imagine resting in who you are in Christ, so much so... That it is enough no matter what you face in life. Who you are in Christ is simply enough. No matter what pain, no matter what hardship, no matter what suffering comes our way, that His grace is truly enough. And this is where Paul rests in as we look at this passage here, that he rests in who he is in Christ. He has been rescued, he's been saved, his sins have been paid for, he is a child of God, he will go on to spend all of eternity with God in heaven, and he rests in that. There is solace, there is peace that is there knowing who he is in Christ. And this is the goal for us to, as we go through sanctification, as we become a more mature believer, is to rest in who God is. Rest in who we are in Christ. No matter what comes our way, we take rest in the grace that he has given us. Um, What was Paul's response? Somehow Paul was a better Christian and God received more glory due to the weakness that remained in him. But what was Paul's response? Did he become angry? Uh, Did he become bitter towards God? Because this thorn, this pain uh, continued. Look at 2 Corinthians 12 verse 10 just quickly. Uh, He says, For the sake of Christ then, I am content... Circle that word content. I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Wow, beautiful scripture here. How do we deal with pain and suffering? I would go right here. 2 Corinthians 12.10. For the sake of Christ then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Does he become bitter? Does he become angry? No, the opposite of that. He relies on God even more. And he becomes content with the pain. He becomes content with the situation he is in, knowing that he is in the hands of God. And knowing that he is going through this all according to the ordained plan of God. Beautiful passage. Uh, Acts chapter 9, I have this on the screen. 
Paul was warned, you might say, ahead of time that he would face lots of pain, lots of suffering, lots of tribulations, and hardships as well. Uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 15 and 16, we recall uh, Paul's conversion as he was rescued, as he was saved by Christ, as he was called to be an apostle of Christ as well. God worked through a man named Ananias. In verse 15, We have this, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So the gentleman involved in going and teaching and preaching Paul at that time, as Paul was struck blind, if you remember, uh, is told ahead of time that Paul is going to suffer much for the sake of my name. So Ananias knew this. We, we assume that he told this to Paul as well. And, and Paul knew all of this was coming. But it is beautiful to understand God's sovereignty. And how he is indeed in charge and in control of all things in all of our days. There's nothing that sneaks up on God. God does not take a nap and go, oh, Trey, I'm sorry. I I was dealing with someone over here in Indonesia and didn't see that you needed me at that time. And everything's chaotic in your life now. I'll try to fix. I'll try to do the best I can. Uh, We don't see that with God, right? But God is sovereign. And and, and he works together where every day is ordained by him, orchestrated by him. It's the providential hand of God. And that's what we see here in Paul's life. God warns him ahead of time. God knew all the suffering that Paul was going to face ahead of time and even tells him ahead of time. And we see Paul doing this when he goes to those new believers. He warns them, tribulations are coming. Uh, we have to go through many tribulations before we enter into the kingdom of God. So don't be surprised by them. Paul was not surprised. He knew they were coming, and neither should they. So here uh, we see he's even warned that, hey, these things are coming. Psalm 139, verse 16 is a verse we can always take peace in as we face trials and tribulations, pain and suffering. God says, your eyes saw, or David says, your eyes, your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Verses like this can blow your mind, but they also can give you extreme peace. Knowing that God has ordained your days. He knows every event, every situation that you are going through, that you will go through. And he is there with us. This causes, for me, extreme peace. Knowing there's nothing that's not in the hands of God. There's nothing that's out of his control. There's not one thing that's going to happen to me in my life where God goes, Oh, I didn't see that coming. Sorry, Trey. No, not at all. But every day has been ordained for me. And that's what Paul was resting in as well. He knew these tribulations were were coming. God had ordained them that his life would have these days in them. And he rested in God's peace the entire time. Uh, 2 Corinthians 11, just look quickly at that one. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23 and verse 28 says, are they servants of Christ? I am better, a better one. Now, what we have here is Paul's list of bad times, all right? pain and suffering, uh, trials and tribulations. So he just kind of lists them here, uh, kind of what all he's faced up until this time. He says, are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm a talking like a madman. He doesn't like to talk about this stuff, but the people that he is addressing are kind of kind of lifting up some disciples above him because they face some bad things. So now he just lists it all out here. He says, I'm talking like a madman, speaking of himself, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. This is him. 
Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. We've seen the passion of Christ. Most of us have. Perhaps you can envision that. The 39 lashes uh, across the back, defleshionizing of most of the torso. Five different times he had received this. Three times he was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. We covered that one earlier. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers and toil and hardship through many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me, uh, my anxiety for all the churches. Does this sound anything like name it and claim it, gab it, grab it, speak it, receive it, divine prosperity, right? No, this is the opposite. This is a man, though, that went through all of this and had a solace, had a peace, had a contentment that in this weakness, He was actually made stronger because of all that he went through because he relied on Christ so much more. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 and 9 says this. I have it on the screen. It says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. He again talks of another another time. He says, For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death but that was to make us rely on ourselves, not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Here again, uh, and, and we're, we're going to look a little bit more in, uh, into the life of Job next week. But as far as pain and suffering, we see Paul, who's written the majority of the New Testament. Nowhere in here does he say, hey, you'll be fine. There'll be no, no health problems, no issues. Nothing's going to go wrong in your life. You're going to have perfect health. Never face any hiccup, no bumps, right into the glory. Not at all. Many tribulations and then glory. And he lists many of them that he goes through in his life here. But in this passage, he says in verse 9, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. They thought they were about to die. Uh, But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. What was called Paul's comfort during this time of near death? If you look at it, it's like, even this, I just knew that I was about to die. But he still found peace in that. He still found comfort in that. Why? Because of this treasure that's in these jars of clay. Because he knows he had been rescued. He knows he had truly been saved. He knew that he was in a jar of clay. If it was time for his jar of clay to be, to be put away, to go back to the earth, that was fine. Because he knew he had been rescued by God. And he knew that he would be raised from the dead. So as Paul faces tribulation, trials, pain, sufferings, all these things. His back is defleshed. The rod's on his back. He's stoned to death, or so they think. He is able to still find peace in knowing that he's in the hands of God. He knows this life is temporary. He knows his body is temporary. Even here, he's about to die, and he still finds peace. How? Because he trusts God. And he knows that Christ, as Christ has risen from the dead, all those who believe in him will also rise from the dead. He knows that of himself as well. So in pain, suffering, even facing death, he finds peace in God. I'm going to read this one to you. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says this, But we do not want you to be uninformed brothers, again written by Paul, about those who are fallen asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring him who, those who have fallen asleep. 
And this is the peace, this is the rest that we as believers have. That no matter what happens in our life, we know that God is with us. Even as we face death, we know there is no fear of this either. Because we go immediately from here into the presence of God. And eventually God raises our bodies and puts them back with our souls for all of eternity. Um, So as we look at Paul's life here, we definitely realize that Paul did not think he was in heaven right now. That day is coming for believers, but it is not now. His body is temporary. He knows this life is temporary. And he was willing to get the gospel out at all costs. No matter what it took, he presented Christ. He presented salvation through Christ everywhere he went. He became stronger, not weaker. He learned to be satisfied in the gospel and what it meant for him, the grace that he was shown from God. He taught others not to be surprised when tough times came, but to remain steady in their faith. Now, for the last few moments, I'm just going to read a story. As I was preparing this message, I read this book years ago uh, when it came out, but it's very interesting. I'm not going to read the whole book, but just kind of give you uh, just a little bit of the testimony from an individual. You've probably heard of his name. He's a very famous Christian singer. But I'm just going to read this to you and let you kind of bask in it as as a fellow believer was facing uh, pain and suffering. And just kind of briefly, very briefly, it's in a book form, but but, uh, we're not going to read the whole book today, but just kind of a brief couple of paragraphs of his story. This is the true story of Jeremy and Melissa Kemp and the song that was entitled, I Still Believe. She was twinning. I went and visited her. I walked into her room and she said, Jeremy, if I die from this cancer and if one person gets to know Jesus as their Savior because of it, it'll all be worth it. That's a true statement. Jeremy says, I went home and wept. I said, God, if you still want me to marry her, I will. We got engaged. We didn't know what would happen. She went through chemotherapy. As we got married, things were looking better. But after the honeymoon, they ran some tests and we were told the cancer had returned and spread. I dropped to my knees and cried. We had been married four and a half months when she died. She was 21. Weren't you angry with God? An interviewer asked him. Absolutely. It's not like I said, yeah, it's fine. It's great. Once I was reading my Bible and I literally threw it across the room. I shouted to God. I believed. I believed because we truly did. Melissa and I believed. We prayed because I know God can heal. I've seen sick people healed. It's like your face is shoved up against a picture. And when your face is that close, you can't see the picture clearly. You're like, this is a mess. I remember God saying, I'll be with you every step of the way. I had my battles. I had my times of just being upset. And God would show me, hey, I'm right here. I'll walk with you through this. And it doesn't make sense now, but just trust me. That's where faith comes in. Trust. Why didn't you heal my God? My wife is a question I wailed for weeks afterward. I had faith. I believed. Why? Why? The answer he heard from the Lord was not the one he wanted. You are not supposed to know why. That is not my purpose for you. I want you to have a testimony of walking by faith. And the years since her tragic passing, Camp has gone on to sell millions of records, charted 19 number one hits, and won several major Dove Awards. But more importantly to him, he has encountered a peace that has carried him far beyond easy answers. Camp has walked through fire and emerged on the other side, not only refined and restored, but also intently focused on proclaiming the reason for his hope in song and now in the written word. 
One of his best-selling, best-known songs is I Still Believe. It is the first song he wrote in the weeks after his young wife's death. Here are the lyrics to this song. Scattered words and empty thoughts seem to pour from my heart. I've never felt so torn before. Seems I don't know where to start. But it's now that I feel your grace fall like rain. From every fingertip washing away my pain. I still believe in your faithfulness. I still believe in your truth. I still believe in your holy word. Even when I don't see, I still believe. Though the questions still fog my mind with promises I still seem to bear. Even when answers slowly unwind, it's my heart I see you prepare. But it's now that I feel your grace fall like rain from every fingertip washing away my pain. I still believe in your faithfulness. I still believe in your truth. I still believe in your holy word. Even when I don't see, I still believe. The only place I can go is into your arms where I throw to you my feeble prayers. In brokenness, I can see that this was your will for me. Help me to know you are near. I still believe in your faithfulness. I still believe in your truth. I still believe in your holy word. Even when I don't see, I still believe. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have told us clearly that pain, suffering, trials, tribulations, hardships do come. Paul was warned of this before he faced them. He went on to prepare others and strengthen them to let them know that these days were coming as well and to not lose faith but continue in trusting in you no matter what. We see here an example of a godly man that's with us today, Jeremy Camp, who, who suffered the loss of a wife, the struggle, the, the questions, the wondering why, but yet finding peace in you. No matter what comes our way, God, may we rest in the grace that you give us through Jesus Christ. May we understand more and more that this is not heaven. This is not eternity. This life is temporary. We know this. We are in jars of clay that will eventually lose their usefulness. But we are eternal. You've made us forever. And God, may we rest in the gospel. The gospel that Jesus Christ has come. He's taken our sins. He's paid the price. And all who believe in him shall be saved, shall be rescued. And that you're with us no matter what we go through. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship the God who is with us through that pain and suffering.